Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Today, I am so excited to have Marty Sachs with us. How are you, Marty? I'm well. How are you doing? I am doing lovely, lovely, and delightful. And just to peek behind the hood a little bit, you guys know how amazing this podcast world is. Marty and I, this is our third attempt to record this episode. And so I know third time's a charm because we're both so busy. So I am so excited to do this. It's good to be with you. So let me tell you a little bit about Marty. He has been with Telos Alliances for over two decades. He's held a variety of roles in sales, business, and product development. He has a sales role where he is over not only the sales team, the marketing team, and now, no, sorry, I think I might've gotten that wrong. He's over the sales team, marketing team, and what we would call, is it support, Marty? Or did you just let that part go? So now I have a role overseeing our strategy efforts. Uh, Strategy. Yep. Yep. The support team now works in another group for a new professional services organization that we're standing up. So that group now no longer reports directly to me, although I get to talk to them from time to time. So we're still good friends. Awesome. So Marty is the executive vice president of sales, marketing, and strategy. And he's been in this, he's been with this company for over two decades. So Marty, I am so curious, how do you stay with a company for so long and still enjoy what you do every single day? That's a great question. And I think the probably the easiest answer is it's all about the people that you work with and the industry that you serve. So in my particular case, I started out as a technologist working for radio stations on the East Coast of the U.S. and um, went from sort of one set of stations to another and then ended up moving into a sales role about halfway through what's now my 40-some years related to media and technology. And specifically, I started out as a radio guy. So if you work with great people, if you're in an industry that you love, if you are challenged every day, well, guess what? You can get to these kind of decade counts and still love to get up in the morning and be very excited and have great relationships in the industry. And just, you know, it's one day at a time, but it really goes back to my love for the industry and the great colleagues that I've worked for or worked with for many years. So you started your career and on the other side of the supply chain, as I'll call it. So talk to us about your early career. What was that like for you? So the early career, you know, I had a disappointment early in life where I ended up getting eyeglasses, and that's not necessarily such a disappointment, but if you want to be a military pilot in the 70s, you needed to have perfect vision. So what turned out to be kind of a bad news thing, right, getting glasses was a good news thing because it allowed me to pursue this interest I had in electronics. And uh, I ended up hanging around one day at my junior high school, they call it middle school now, the audio visual club. I don't even know if they have those anymore, but I ended up going on a tour to a TV station, and that was in 1972. So, you know, something happened. I got excited about it, and, you know, little by little, it started to work in the industry that I'm in to this very day. Wow. So something in middle school is what gave you that little spark Mm -hmm. when your first plan didn't work. You said, okay, that's fine. I kind of have this backup plan that I think may work that I think I might like. So when you first got into this broadcast journalism world, what kind of things did you do? Were you the DJ making amazing music late at night? Were you a sports reporter? What did you do? So I was on the other side of the microphone. So I was one of the people that made sure the microphone worked and made sure that even if the microphone worked, that you could actually hear the station. So I started out, you know, very much behind the scenes 
and um, in some respects did very little in front of the microphone other than a little bit in college. So I've always been primarily unseen and mostly unheard when it comes to the actual broadcasting. But of course, what a lot of people don't realize, or maybe some people do, is that there's a tremendous amount that happens that you never see, whether you're watching TV news or you're listening to a song. There are so many things that have to happen for you to hear that song or watch that show or view the news or you know have Alexa play you a stream of audio from something. So there are just so many unsung heroes. And uh, I sort of had that role for the first two decades of my career, just, you know, mm-hmm. doing more and more project work. I went to different cities and built radio stations, but I always came back to the technical side and the, you know, nobody really knew my name side, which was just fine by me. So one of the people that I used to work with, she used to call herself the brains behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so that's really what you've described. You were the brains behind the scenes. How did you really take, like, I'm the person who's way in the back. I'm not talking. It's not about me. How did you take that and transition into a sales role? So it's kind of interesting. You know, they often say that there are some things that you cannot control, but what Mm. you can control is how you react to those things. So I ended up having a pretty significant change. At the time, I was leading the technology for a specific group of radio stations in the D.C. area, which is where I grew up, Washington, D.C., and um, I got a new boss. And, um, you know, I realized relatively quickly that I was probably going to want to do something different. Mm -hmm. And so what do you do? You start looking around. You start working your network. And essentially what ended up happening was I called one of my vendors looking for another technology role, and he said, I don't have a technology role in mind. But I do have a sales role that opened up last night. So literally, I talked to him the next morning um, after somebody had given notice the night before or day before, whatever it was. And that's how I ended up in sales. And uh, it was very serendipitous. You know, I didn't really know anything other than the actual products that I would be selling were the very products that I was purchasing as a technology leader. So I knew that particular part really well. The part I didn't know is now what do I do? What do I say, right? How do I talk to these guys that, you know, I used to go to picnics with? Now I got to try to sell them something, you know? So it was more of the, how do I function as a a seller than it was, how do I learn this industry that I'm going to try to sell products into? So a lot of times people go into sales and they move from industry to industry because they have such great sales skills. You know, they can make that kind of a change. For me, I had to learn to sell and I had to learn by knowing what I was going to sell so that I could focus all that energy on learning the, the sales process and how to do that effectively. Mm-hmm. So one of the great things that I, I love to talk about on the podcast is the fact that a lot of times as sales leaders, we are looking for that ready-made salesperson, right? The person who has some technical knowledge, is a good salesperson, knows the market, all of that. However, you said, I knew the technical stuff. I was on the other side. I was buying these things. So I know what a buyer actually likes. I know what annoys a buyer. I know what actually <laughs> matters to them, right? So it's like when you go, when you're on that other side and then you flip and you're like, but I don't know how to sell it. You actually really do know how to sell it because you know how you like to be sold to. And so you do unto others as you would like to be done unto you. 
Yeah, in fact, you're speaking the truth because I said a moment ago, I didn't know what to do, but in a way I did because just as you described, you know, I had a certain mental image of how I wanted people to do business with me, how to sell to me. And what I realized was that it was all about figuring out a way to add value in a way that nobody else can or that fewer people can. So think about it. If we all sell the same reading glasses, you know, and we all sell within pennies of each other, guess what? We have some limits there, right? We're never going to be able to really differentiate ourselves. And we have to sell lots of these to be successful. But if we can figure out a way to sell these and to sell these and somehow have them work together, okay, somehow we can differentiate ourselves, then, you know, we have more options. And I think that's what I learned was that if I could figure out a way to put together packages of equipment, and that wasn't new in my industry, but I put together packages from maybe some additional companies that other people didn't put together packages, including, you know, I learned how to help people adopt new technologies. They may not necessarily know all about them. I didn't know all about them, but I knew who to call to be able to put these pieces together in a way that would work for these particular clients. And over time, what I learned was I did my very best to always add more value than my competitor because most customers will pay for that value gladly because you save them time, you save them hassle, um, you save them the embarrassment of something not working because they save $15. So I think it was a process of me learning how to create that differentiation. And sometimes I was successful and sometimes I wasn't, but I think that over time I learned ways to differentiate and that ultimately was what helped me to stay in sales as opposed to, you know, needing to do something else because I was not as successful as I wanted to be to provide for my family and do the other things in my life. So yeah, that's the story. Wow. And the way that you kind of took the autonomy that you had to create packages, not just this is what you need, this is what I'm going to give you, but from your knowledge of, again, on the other side of the supply chain, this is what a person in this position needs. This is what would be valuable to them. And so as you continue to build that value and help your customers understand, it grew your business and grew your business. And at what point in your career did you say, I think I want to lead people like me instead of just being an individual contributor? I was probably slower to go more into a leader role than, you know, I mean, I had people advising me I should think about that and maybe I didn't listen as well as I should have. And uh, it's a really, you know, it's a timing thing. And I think that where I finally, I guess where it finally clicked for me was the fact that, you know, I joined an organization that had more than one employee doing sales. And, um, mm. you know, naturally there's going to be somebody that, that might gravitate more towards leading that team or, you know, at least showing up at meetings, helping to lead that team, whatever it might be. And so it wasn't a click of a switch. It was much more of a kind of a slow realization. And I think that to a certain extent, leading means serving. So I think one of the things I learned was that I never really led as much as I tried to help other people succeed. And mm -hmm. I think ultimately, you know, the best quality of a leader is caring for the people that are on your team or that are on the team, right? It's not my team, it's the team. And that in the process of doing that, you help them succeed and you sort of, you know, then help some more succeed. And, you know, it's really, uh, you just wake up one day and you go, huh, wow, okay. but it wasn't something I deliberately said, you know, in 10 years, I'm going to be a leader. You know, that wasn't really what crossed my mind on that. Mm, okay. And so 
how long was that time though? Like, I know that you said you weren't jumping up and ready, but how long were you actually in that individual contributor sales role? I guess probably for a good 10 years or so. And, uh, you know, I mean, depends on how you count it exactly, but probably nine to 10 years in, I was starting to be a a dedicated leader. And um, yeah, that's about right. So as that dedicated leader, what are some of those, uh, give us your first first 90 days. (laughs) What are some of the things you're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? What's happening? Well, one of the things I guess I learned on the beginning stages was the company I was doing some of that original leading for was going through some changes. And so one of the things that is difficult for a leader, especially a sales leader, is to maintain the success of the business while you're trying to change the business. So I I used to tell people it's a little like driving your car down the highway at 60 miles an hour and changing your oil at the same time. It's a little hard. So I think one of the things I learned was just this idea that you have to sort of pick the areas that are most important because you're not going to have time to do all the things that you normally need to do to lead and, you know, institute new comp plans and create new contracts for your resellers. And there's just a lot that has to happen when change is upon you. And so you constantly have to prioritize. And I think that's the one thing I learned is prioritize, right? The idea that you can't do it all. So what's the thing that you want at the end of the day, you will be most motivated to have accomplished. And that, you know, some people would say that negatively, what's the one thing that you would be really ticked off about if you didn't have it done at the end of the day, but look at it from the positive, which is, you know, what is most important? And that's hard. That's hard, especially if you have a family, you know, you're trying to juggle all these balls in the air and not drop any of them. And that's probably the biggest lesson I learned the hard way, because I found myself focusing on things that weren't as important to the detriment mm-hmm. of the things that were. So you constantly have to prioritize as a leader. And uh, even to this day, there are times where I just go, oh, you know, now it's a little easier at my advanced age. I'm able to triage what's important and what's not a little better than I could when I was younger, shall we say. And um, so there are some advantages to a little of this stuff here. And, um, you know, definitely uh, that prioritization thing is huge. I mean, if I had to go back and do it all again, the one thing I would do is make better use of my time. As a husband, as a dad, as a, a worker, as a technologist, as a salesperson, whatever, right? That's the one thing. If I rewound the tape all the way back, it'd be much better use of my time. I really love that you said your number one tip is prioritization and time management. It's not figuring out how to get the troops in line. It's not beating them over the head with their KPIs or coming up with KPIs. It's me. And as leaders, so many times we put those things that need to be done on ourselves on the back burner. We're like, oh, but this is wrong and only 50% of the team is producing and my boss told me to do this and this is not working, so let me go, go, go. But when we stop and take a minute and really just take a moment to say, how can I become a better human being today and every day, that is what helps us lead better. Yeah, because quite frankly, you know, I've heard this said before kind of different ways, but you know, one way to say it is nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care, right? Kind of a trite mm-hmm. saying, right? But if you think about it, it really makes sense. And I think that the other thing I think is unfortunately where I've failed as a leader in the past is I haven't always walked the walk, right? So I talk mm-hmm. the talk, right? I've got all the right sayings and things, you know, and I can tell you a mile 
long, all these things, right? But I wasn't necessarily always doing the things that I was telling other people to do. So, you know, full disclosure, you know, somebody that's watching this that knows me, you know, I have to be honest because they'll call me out. You know, I've learned because I made a lot of mistakes. And I think that's the one thing I would tell anybody, no matter where they are in their career, no matter what industry, no matter what their line of work is, is that if you make mistakes, if you learn from your mistakes, I think you're going to succeed because most people, a lot of people are afraid to stretch and make a mistake, right? You know, they'd like that comfort zone and nobody grows in a comfort zone, but not everybody is in a safe environment to be able to make mistakes and survive them. So, you know, there are lots of stories of people, you know, getting removed from an organization for making a mistake. And I think that the idea here is, you know, for anybody listening to your podcast, that's a leader, make it safe for people to make mistakes, not integrity mistakes, right? You got to be honest. You got to treat customers fairly. You can't compromise your integrity. That's a deal breaker. But other than integrity issues, I would say that's the one thing that I would encourage any leader that wants to be successful is to be a safe place, maintain a safe environment so that people make mistakes and they learn from them. You know, guess what? They're more valuable to you. So yeah, to me, that's a big one right there. Give us a real example of something that's happened in your current position or in your previous positions where you've actually had to put this into action. There are a few, but I, at one point I was with an organization that was running into financial trouble. And at the time I had the privilege of leading that organization. And unfortunately we were going through a tough patch and I had to lay myself off. Mm. So, you know, and my wife had just been diagnosed with an illness. So it was a very, very difficult time. It was a very difficult choice to make, but it was the right choice to make because the organization was more important than one individual. So that's probably the best example that I can talk wow. about in terms of a difficult decision. And it wasn't easy, but I was rewarded in multiple ways for making that decision. One was because I could look myself in the mirror and know I'd made the right choice. So to thine own self be true, right? The integrity thing. I think the other thing was that I set an example for people that were closest to me, my friends, my family, because they knew what had happened. And ultimately it all ended up working out just fine. But uh, at the time it was a bit painful and um, boy, did I learn a lot from that. That is very amazing. It really shows your selfless nature and how much you value people. And a lot of times I say as leaders, for me, it's not just the person who's on my team, the person who's working in the company. I'm thinking about their families, right? Like, okay, kids are going back to school. So I'm not thinking about my kids going back to school. I'm thinking about everybody's kids who has to go back to school, everybody who's by school clothes and do this and do that. Because literally as leaders, that is how we impact lives day to day. And so for you to look at the numbers, look at the situation and say, it is better for me to lay myself off so that five or 10 or 12 other people can keep their jobs. That is very, 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 very amazing. I mean, that's, yeah. It wasn't quite that many that could keep their jobs. I wasn't paid that much, um, but I will tell you, <laughs> I know I just had to put that in there, but I will tell you that I'm on a team now with a number of leaders that during COVID made some very difficult choices about their own salaries to avoid laying off anybody here at our company. So we were very fortunate. Not every company had the flexibility and sort of the financial wherewithal to be able to do this. But during the COVID, the worst of the COVID period, you know, say about 18 months there, we didn't lay off a single person. We um, continued to pay everybody's health care and all that sort of stuff. And um, this was 
partly because our team did some sacrifice across the entire team, and partly that's because the senior executives here took a significant salary reduction for a short period of time to make sure that we had the ability so that we didn't have to lay a single person off. So I'm really proud of this team and our leaders, not my leaders, right? Our CEOs, co-CEOs, and our CFO banded together and help us ride this through. So, you know, companies very, very strong, always has been strong, very, very strong now, you know, and that's, again, a very vivid example to me of what leadership is about, because that wasn't my idea, that was their idea. And I was happy to jump on board and be a part of that. So, yeah. So... What you just demonstrated is a culture, right? You guys have a culture of empathy, a culture of really digging deep and figuring out what does the organization need? Not what do I, an individual, and maybe my household need, but what as an organization, how can we ensure that our employees are all able to continue paying their rent and their mortgage and their car notes, right? Because that's what it's about. When you're at a level of being an executive in the C-suite, senior executive, yes, you make good money. And yes, we know that we need money to live, but we can cut back and tighten our belt sometimes. And to have a culture where senior executives all get online and you don't have a dissenter, I mean, that is a great testament to the work you guys are doing there. The team here is remarkable. And I couldn't agree with you more. Just that idea that, you know, sort of that selflessness that came. It's pretty interesting because I haven't always been on teams like that. So I don't Mm -hmm. take that for granted. I've been on teams that have been very political, very siloed. I've been on teams where, quite frankly, the people outside the company were friendlier than the people inside the company. So, I mean, I've, I've kind of been there, done that. Probably not as much as some people that are viewing this, but seems at times I've been in some really funky places. And boy, what I've learned. And so to be in a place like Telos and, um, you know, be working with the people I am is, uh, is a great blessing. I don't take it for granted. I'm very thankful to be here and very privileged to be on this team. So yeah, no question. I've seen it both ways. Mm, Wow. You've given us so many lessons in in leadership and accountability and creating a culture where people want to work, where they want to stay and where you as a leader can show up. So I know when I ask you, tell me something that has impacted your career, you may not have too much more because you've given (laughs) me so much. So now I'm going to ask you to pull something else. What All right. has impacted the way that you lead? A situation personally or professionally? So I've got one. All I got is one. You've taken everything that I've got. Um, <laughs> but uh, I've got one for sure. So one of the things I learned, this was really in my technology career. So my exposure to technology leaders was largely you know, very smart individuals, but maybe a little bit lacking in some of the social skills, right? The sort of how to interact with people, how to get your point met, you know, how to creatively confront, you know, behaviors. Just this idea of, you know, how to live the rest of your life when you're not doing technology. And so I came up in the early parts of my career not having good examples of how to do that, right? My parents weren't really that way. They didn't really deal with their emotions at times very effectively. So I was really lacking that in the beginning of my career. And I ended up working right as I graduated high school. I changed jobs. I worked for one of the most successful radio stations here in the Washington, D.C. area at the time. And I met a guy who became a lifelong friend. I've known this guy over 40 years. And um, more than that, I can't do the math, not enough fingers. But I think the point here is that for the first time ever, early in my career, 
I worked with a guy who had an amazing people skill. So he was brilliant technologically, don't get me wrong. He was nobody's fool when it came to how to do the actual blocking and tackling of the work we do at that point in time. But man, did this guy have people skills. And I watched how he interacted. I watched how he, you know, I read what he wrote. I learned to write reading his stuff. And, um, you know, I watched him model much of the same behaviors we've talked about, you know, selfless leadership and caring for your people. And uh, I remember him taking me to an executive's dinner one time in my blue jeans in Los Angeles. I didn't have any real clothes. I was out doing a project, but we had just celebrated something big. And he said, look, these guys are celebrating. They didn't even work on it. This guy, me, Marty, he brought me along to this ritzy restaurant. I remember, you know, I was like 20 years old and I'm like, what am I doing here? Right. I'm looking around and all these people are wearing suits and I'm sitting there in my jeans and a t-shirt and uh, the steak was great. Let me tell you what, it was a great experience, but I learned how to take care of people from this guy. His name is uh, Smitty. So he's been a lifelong friend. He's been a great mentor. You know, when my wife went through uh, medical stuff, his wife was always sending stuff to her, just very caring, very caring people. And so I learned, you know, I had a great example. And so that is, you know, when I talk about mentorship, I've been fortunate in my entire life to have so many great mentors. He's probably the first major mentor I ever had. So yeah, big time. That's amazing. I, I think so. Yep. That someone helped us get to where we are today. And so we're responsible to reach back and pull somebody else up. And it really sounds like in everything that you do, you practice that, right? You remember Smitty and how much he just brought just a straggly 20-year-old in jeans and a t-shirt <laughs> to a fancy meeting. And he literally showed you this is how you show up and this is how you talk to important executives. And he was mentoring you and teaching you. And this is one key reason why when I work with leaders in companies, I say you are not allowed to go to a meeting external meeting without somebody on your team with you. Like mm -hmm. you cannot do it. It is like a thing that I need you ingrained in your brain. You should never go to a meeting alone as a leader because that's how salespeople learn. They learn on the fly. They that's learn exactly they right. Hear, right. Absolutely right. I think there's a book that was written years ago, Never Eat Alone. And mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty sure that's the principle that they talk about there. It's just that idea of you're always teaching. Well, Marty, this has been an amazing, amazing conversation. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Me too. I'm so glad it was, we waited a while to get here, but I'm so glad we were able to connect and to chat. And what is the one best way that listeners can reach out to you if they're interested in chatting more? Probably best thing to do is email me. It's marty.sachs at telosalliance.com. Feel free to reach out. I'm happy to interact with any of your listeners. Awesome. Make sure you tell them in the email that you heard him on the Transform Sales Podcast so he doesn't think that you're just somebody's trying to sell him some more stuff. <laughs> that you actually want to learn from him and talk to him and develop as a leader or as a salesperson. Absolutely. I'd welcome the opportunity. Well, thank you so much, Marty, for your time, your talent, your expertise, and sharing how the company culture within Telos has really helped you lead and show up that the way you best express yourself. So thank you so much for sharing that with us today. We definitely appreciate it. Great to see you. And thanks again for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. And that was another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Remember, in everything that you do, every single day, find one way to transform your sales. Until next time.